coming up. What an excellent day for head spinning. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 80 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with the demon slapping Chris across the face. And it ends with Father Karras fishing in his pockets for a cigarette. Yes, folks, we got Dimmy back with us. And thank God, because things are getting really intense now. Huh. God, I want to just skip over the rest of this. Yeah. Just get to Damien, see what let's he's just, up to. Let's just skip to Dimmy, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll call this We'll call this episode, uh, Oops, All Dimmy. <laughs> but what about all the other parts with all, all the other famous stuff in it? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like... A gremlin, uh, Captain Howdy got into the got into the works and, and ate all the cellophane. Cellophane, you guys still use cellophane? Anyway, moving on. But no, um, at the top of this minute, which we got to get back to, um, it's mm. still just Chris and Reagan. Well, Chris and Reagan and the demon uh, who is still holding Chris. And now he pulls her back up. Again, we see this malicious, triumphant face on Reagan for just a split second as she reels back and slaps her mother across the face. Now, Keenan, one of the big controversies of this scene, of this movie, is just how much of the performance is Linda Blair and how much of it is these other ladies, Eileen Dietz, Mercedes McCambridge, and then, of course, we got Annie Miles. Uh, but specifically, this scene is touted as proof that it wasn't all just uh, Linda Blair. Oh, yeah. um, but but she says she says so. Right. And she, she fully admits this as well. <laughs> right, it's not like sure. she's high. Like, yeah. This publicity is like, oh, she was hot. No, no. Like she's she is fully admitting this as well. But but also we got to look closer at this thing. We got to look closer at the the actual finished film. So I'm watching this thing and Linda Blair, Linda Blair reels back, ready to smack Ellen Burstyn across the face. And I'm thinking, OK, here comes the cut. We're going to see Eileen Dietz from the back when the slap actually connects. That's what it says, not only in the Amazon x-ray, which by now we know means absolutely nothing anymore, <laughs> um, but not just there. That's what it says on every piece of publication, every interview, every anecdote, every printed word on this subject. It says that Eileen Dietz was used when the demon smacks Ellen Burstyn across the room. And I do want to give credit where credit is due, folks. I absolutely do. And maybe there are some frames on the cutting room floor, which we are not seeing. But Keenan, look at this slap in the finished film that we have and tell me what you see. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So I, I was, uh, let me read what it says here on the uh, Amazon X-ray. Um, okay, a reading from the book of Bezos. <laughs> uh, so it says here, uh, in the scene where Reagan is masturbating with the crucifix, Eileen Dietz was used for the shot where Reagan belts her mother across the face. Mm. William Friedkin felt they needed someone with more heft physically to perform the stunt, and the double was shot from the back. Um, maybe that, maybe they did do that. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. they did. I mean, I'm sure they have. I mean, I, I would imagine that some of these shots from the back are Eileen Dietz. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, specifically the shot where 
we are holding Ellen Burson's face into the crotch. Right. Correct. That's that's Eileen Dietz, almost certainly. Um, almost certainly, yes. Yeah, uh, but but a shot. So so you know, it's 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 very likely that we have a shot where she's holding Ellen Burson's face into her crotch, and then Ellen Burson is you know brought back up, and Eileen Dietz probably did you know do a stunt where she looks like she's smacking Ellen Burson, but in the film. The shot is of Linda Blair smacking Ellen Burson. So, yes. And I do recall um, now that I'm thinking about it. Yes. Like seeing some behind the scenes footage where it was just like raw, unedited. Uh, and they went through the entire motion mm-hmm. of the, you know, the lick me, lick me and the fighting over the right. crucifix. And then the and then the drawing back and the smacking. And it was all Eileen Dietz. Right. Um, but then, you know, how much of that is used and, and how much of that we see in the actual finished film is is a whole nother a uh, ball of yarn, ball of wax, <laughs> ball can of, of worms, uh, b- can of balls. Ball, <laughs> can of- <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, I would say zero, right? It is, it, there is yeah. nothing of uh, the back of Eileen Dietz as an arm reels back or, right. or anything. So, so we have, we're on Ellen Burstyn's side when she's pulled into the crotch and gets, uh, you know, a face full of blood. And mm-hmm, then for mm-hmm. the smack part, we don't even see Ellen Burstyn's face as she's acting like she got smacked. Um, it's all Linda Blair, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all Linda Blair all the time. Yeah. Whoops. All Linda Blair. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Friedkin said. It's like, hey, where's Billy? Where's my free? Uh, the, 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 this is Eileen. Hey, Billy, where's where's my footage? And there's like, whoops, all Linda Blair. <laughs> Yeah, so that's just a, you know, you know, there are people who have been looking at this movie in the kind of format where we've been doing this, you know, shot by shot. They've been doing this for decades. Mm-hmm. Um and I I'm not sure. I'm so I'm sure we're not the first people to point this out that this is a a repeated um myth or mm. just a repeated piece of publicity because the story that we have in that tiny little paragraph that sounds like a great story. Yes. It just, that's just not in the film. Yeah. And this is, and, and, and folks, again, right. We want to give credit where credit is due. Um, we're talking about like this specific set of frames right here, mm-hmm. right? We're not talking about other things. We're not, we're, we're talking about like this specific moment um, because it has been kind of like uh, dragged out and, and like shown, um, you know, to the masses, like this is, this is proof that, uh, you know, that, um, uh, that, that Linda Blair uh, was, was helped during this. Right. And you can say, that about about other frames and other shots mm-hmm. in this film but you actually can't say that here um it's and but it is one of those like fun things to say you push up your glasses oh did you know that <laughs> frankenstein frankenstein is actually the name of the doctor right like it's 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 that type of thing that you want to bring up at parties it's like right. well did you know eileen deets it's like yes that is true but not in this instance right whereas in the finish film of frankenstein the monster is is wait <laughs> the monster isn't Frankenstein. Damn mm-hmm. it! <laughs> I don't even know what you were trying the, to do. The doc in the in the finished film, the doctor is still named Frankenstein. Yes, <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> you know, my favorite one of those is um is is Ian's. Um, he he goes up to people and he says, "Did you know? Actually, a lot of people don't know this, but um, but Frankenstein is actually the name of um." The uh, werewolf. <laughs> I like this trope a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Frank. A lot of people don't know this, but Frankenstein is the name of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've heard what was it like? Um, um, pedants know that the monster isn't named Frankenstein, but yes. wise men know that he is because the doctor is the monster. Yes. There we go. <laughs> I can't operate on this boy because I'm Frankenstein. 
Well, but you know, this is, yeah, this is one of those things we pointed out that this movie by minute format, which is the first time we've been doing this, right? It, it, uh-huh. It's interesting what you can learn and you can, you know, see for yourself some of the Hollywood myths that are there, you know, in, mm-hmm. in these great movies and, and then debunk some of them like Hannibal Lecter blinks all the goddamn time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Yeah. If anybody, if anybody does a, a minute of the lambs right? <laughs> or, or a Hannibal minute or, mm-hmm. or whatever, um, that would be, uh, you would be remiss not to point that out every single time every he blinks. Time, you would have yeah. to be like, mm, yep, there we go. There's, there's that myth debunked once more. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of these with like, um, Disney movies, like from our era, where mm-hmm. they, they would have things that, um, when you take a screenshot out of context, it looks dirty. And so oh, yeah. people mm-hmm, are like, oh, mm-hmm. look at this. Like in the uh, the wedding scene between Vanessa and Prince Eric and Little Mermaid. Yes. They're like, look, Vanessa? this is... Vanessa? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's uh, mm-hmm. Ursula, Ursula's um, alter ego. Really? <laughs> yeah. Her, she gave her alter ego a name? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Why didn't she just call it Ursula? He doesn't know who Ursula is. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Ursula. <laughs> Ursula, the sea witch. <laughs> <laughs> I have a confession to make. <laughs> My name isn't Vanessa. <laughs> it's Frankenstein. <laughs> but no, it's just, my name isn't Vanessa. It's Ursula. Right. And Prince Eric would go, oh. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know the name of the girl who saved me, so. Because <laughs> she couldn't. Talk. Well, no, no, she could at that time. Yeah. Why? Or, or just call herself Ariel. Or Ursula, what, well, what's wrong with Ursula? Ursula is a beautiful uh, yeah, name. Yeah, what is wrong with Ursula? I, I mean, don't Ursula know. was a beautiful name until <laughs> Ursula the Sea Witch came along. And right. I still think it's a beautiful name. But, yeah, but you can't yeah. name your, your daughter Ursula now. People would look at you. Yeah, you would have you to name your daughter Ariel. Yeah. yeah. But, but anyways, there's the, the little priest, there's a little tiny priest guy who's marrying Vanessa, Ursula, and, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, Prince Eric. And, yeah. and in screenshots, it looks like he has a boner. You yes. heard this, yeah. But mm-hmm. then when you watch the scene itself, it's clearly not like he's. It, it's right. clearly from movement where he's moving, and that's his knee. Like it's very yeah. clear. But right. you know, once once you show people that, uh, you know, the out of context version, then they they can only see the, um, you know, they can only see that he has an erection. Right. Right. Yeah. They they just insist on it. Right. So yes. Yeah, so let's get back to this scene. We were talking about um, what we actually see in the finished film. So I see a very scary very demonic Linda Blair mm-hmm. reel back and then follow through with a smack. And then we cut to Ellen Burstyn crashing to the floor. Mm-hmm. Now, I think most exorcist fans know that this is one of the famous injuries here. Um, with Ellen Burstyn sustaining a permanent injury to her back due to the mechanics of this scene and what they did to make her fly back like that. Do you know what they did? (laughs) So this effect was created and pulled off uh, by special effects artist, I'm going to try to get this name right, uh, Marcel Vercouter. Sounds French. That's pretty the way you say it. Yeah, I like Vercouter. <laughs> do you want to do you want a can of, of Lacroix? I'm sorry. Do you mean Le Croix? <laughs> because that is what we drink. We do not drink La Croix. <laughs> the cross. Le Croix. The cross. No, no. The crooks. <laughs> no, the cross. That's a Captain Audi. <laughs> That's how you get rid of Captain Audi. Le Croix. <laughs> Captain Howdy is just Pepe Le Pew. Um, ew. That's, they, That's worse. worse than Captain Howdy. <laughs> Much worse. Yeah, folks, you wonder why you never see uh, Pepe Le Pew anymore, huh? Yeah. I think he's, he's gross. Think about it for 10 seconds, you'll figure think it out. Think about it for <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. We need a palate cleanser. Let's go back to the exorcism. <laughs> 
but yeah. Um, so, so okay, this guy, uh, Marcel uh, Vercuter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who in every interview I have seen where he talks about this injury or uh, the one that he gave to Linda Blair. Remember that one, folks? Like with the with the uh, with Linda on the bed strapped to like the crazy rocking harness. Right. In all of these interviews. Keenan, am I wrong, or is he like a little bit kind of like jovial about it? Oh yeah, totally. Um, yeah, he's he's sort of j- laughing through uh, these interviews, um, right? And you know, oh, I think I think part of it is is like that is the culture. I don't think he's I don't think he's alone from a lot of these stuff people from the before times, like say before mm. before like five years ago. <laughs> Right. I think I think there's a been a major major change in the way that people talk about these stunt injuries. Um, but he, but in one of these interviews, I don't know which ones uh, you had seen recently, but in one of them, he's like, I guess that's just the way showbiz works, you know, is you give them an yeah. injury. Yeah, I think yeah. That, I think that's endemic of the culture. I don't think he was a particularly like gung ho crazy stunt person. I think that that's that's sort of how these stories used to go. Yeah, yeah. I was I was trying I was watching these interviews and I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt right. because he seems like a, you know like a nice you know nice old grandpa guy um, <laughs> right. who just happens to you know enjoy like pulling you on ropes and cracking your spine <laughs> right uh. and yeah and i was i was trying to think like oh maybe it's like nervous laughter maybe that's how he kind of like is recounting it and he's like chuckling nervously right because like i just like knowing what we know about what happens like because of this scene it mm-hmm. just it just struck me as a little bit weird that he was like uh, kind of chuckling through it um and like yeah, folks, it's the craziest thing to watch. Like these two people talk about this injury, right? You got Ellen Burstyn talking about the pain that she felt and the anger and the incredulity, right? That that they would even try such a thing, risk an actor's safety all for like a quick shot. And then you hard cut to this guy and he's just kind of like laughing through it. Um, and this is the same guy. Like you get an interview with Linda Blair and she's recounting like this horrible moment with the harness that comes loose, right? We, mm-hmm. We've already had that minute and it's like cracking her back. And again, hard cut to this guy and is like, and she was strapped in there and I had her. I could do whatever I wanted. Like, dude, you're not roping cattle. Yeah. So he recounts both of these instances right alongside the ladies recounting them. And in both of those, the tone is very different when they when they switch over to him. And I don't, like, I don't know why they even like allowed that into the documentary. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, this culture about injuries, it, it, like I'm saying, is very, very different now. It, it, it's changing now. I'm still shocked whenever there is an accident on, on a major set um, mm. that these things still happen. Um, you know, like the people on Deadpool 2 should be in jail. Like they, they, they killed a woman. Um, you know, like, I, like, I don't know, I don't know how they got away with that. So yeah. like, it's all, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know about this. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. So this is a terrible one. So they asked this woman who was a, um, they labeled her as a stunt driver when she wasn't a stunt driver. She's just like a, a motorcycle driver. She, she'd never done a movie stunt before. Uh-huh. Um, and they, they gave her this part where she had to double for somebody and they, they told her not to wear a helmet. And then they had adjusted, so they gave her a bike that looked like a bike that she knew, but mm-hmm. but they had um, they had altered it, so it was like here's and a, not told her yeah so like here's a here's here's the bike you know and it looks just like the bike that she's used to and they had altered the way that it handled and she she died in an accident and I, I don't oh understand God. how yeah those people aren't in jail um, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know yeah like it's so it's weird how it still happens you know the, these very. Mm-hmm. 
uh, high profile accidents like that. Um, or, you know, that's awful running over Dylan O'Brien, who is the lead of the maze runner running him over with like a stuck <sighs> tank. Like, I don't understand how that happens. Um, yeah. um, but you know, in the, in the past couple of years, at least they, they don't, uh, like I haven't seen any footage of anybody going, yeah, we ran Dylan over. Ha 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 ha. Isn't that so funny? And we had to shut down production, our lead guy. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, there's still a little bit of it, like with um, you know, Tom Cruise does his own stunts and he's like really mm-hmm, proud mm-hmm. of it and um and like he does take the footage of his his ankle being broken on whichever mission possible that is, you know, and shows it around right. and it's like, look at me, this is so this is kind of funny. But um, mm-hmm. you know, it's much less funny uh when it, when when you're making decisions that hurt other people, you know, when Tom Cruise right. is like, I'm going to be the one to do it or whatever. I mean, you know, that's not inconceivable that Tom Cruise dies doing it, doing a movie stunt, which mm, is mm, in mm. a 65 year old Tom Cruise. That could yeah. happen when he dies on the set of, of his next movie. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, geez. Yeah. So now, I mean, like knowing that now, like about 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 Deadpool. Gosh. Yeah. And then looking back at this, I mean, yeah, at least at least nobody was was killed. Yeah. Like, God. Sheesh. But like. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, my basic point is that they don't go around necessarily going, "Oh, isn't that isn't that funny how unsafe this was?" Right. And right. here, because it's like you know, this is fifty, sixty years ago, or at least mm-hmm. in those times, those interviews that we saw, like forty years before, um, and the person lived or whatever. But I think it also has to come from like the top, right? Like it's Friedkin's mm-hmm. fault. Like Friedkin, Friedkin sets the tone for these things as the director. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. All my blame is going on Friedkin. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because like, and and we're gonna get into it. We're gonna we're gonna actually walk you through this thing, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so let's yeah, let's do it. Let's go through this play by play. Um, so I'm gonna go according to Ellen Burstyn herself mm-hmm. because she recounts it pretty succinctly in I believe it is the Fear of God documentary. Um, she says that she had a rig around her midriff with a wire coming out the back. And so the stunt, she says stunt man, but it's Marcel. Um, He's pulling her, yanking her back, and she's crashing to the floor like you see. Uh, If you look, folks, actually, you can see the place where the wire comes out of uh, the set. Like it raises the little hem of that curtain just the tiniest bit. Yeah, you can see it for four frames, I've counted. Yeah. And that's and that's visible right before Ellen Burstyn falls. Uh, So back to that shot in just a second. But so, yeah, so he yanks back and she falls to the floor, crashes to the floor in that little corner of the set. And so they do one take. And by all accounts, it's a really good take. She's yanked back. She falls and it looks good. But Friedkin wants to do another one. So before the next take, Ellen Burstyn goes to him and says, Billy, he's pulling me too hard. I could get hurt. To which Friedkin replies, well, it's got to look real. At which point, Ellen Burstyn does not slap him across the face and grab him and shake him so hard that he receives permanent spinal damage because Ellen Burstyn is a nice lady and not a raging psychopath like he is. No. She says, she reiterates, like to a child, she says, I understand, but I'm telling you I could get hurt, which is completely understandable. Burstyn is 100% in the right here. So Friedkin says, okay. Don't pull her so hard. So then, oh, and this whole time, Marcel is like standing there with both of right. them. So so it's the three of them talking, right? Or Marcel listening, I guess. But so then Burstyn turns to go. And as she does, she senses something pass between these two men. Like she feels that they have shared a look behind her back. And later, Vercuter, Marcel, uh, also admits that Friedkin then went to him and said, really give it to her. Mm-hmm. This is this is after she specifically asked for them to like tone it down. Mm-hmm. And so he did. Uh, they do one more take. Uh, Marcel Vaucouter 
yanks Ellen Burstyn back, and she falls so hard that it permanently injures her spine. Um, I believe it was specifically her coccyx. And folks, if you're wondering where on your spine your coccyx is, just ask yourself what part of my spine would be the worst most excruciating, fragile, most painful part to fall on. So much so that the makeup of your body is designed to surround it with other bones, muscle, and butt. Your coccyx is housed in the thickest, densest part of your body. You're literally sitting on it right now, but you're also not because it's wrapped in a pillow. That's the part of her spine that Ellen Burstyn fell on and permanently damaged. And that's what we see in the final cut of the film. They... Th- that is the take that they used. I would love to see the other take, you know, um, and, and mm-hmm. compare them. Uh, back the one where she doesn't injure herself. Yeah, yeah. Because... I'm sorry, sorry. The one where where Friedkin doesn't injure. Right, herself. exactly. Right. Um, yeah, I'd love to see that. I mean, it's gone. I, 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 I think I, I don't know if it exists. Uh, I, I don't have mm. any indication that it does. But like, yeah, back then, um, they didn't they didn't keep alternate takes usually um for very long so it's rare to mm. see like deleted scenes like we have for this film with uh the the reagan licking sharon's ankles and that kind of thing right, right? Yeah. yeah so that's relatively rare we have that but yeah I, I mean i wonder it was probably pretty good i mean this one yeah. is you know if i could be cold you know dispassionate ai keenan this is a very good <laughs> shot right it's very <laughs> it's very affecting mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. but i would love to see the other one you know yeah. See, like, was this worth it? I mean, and of course, it's not worth it. Right. And yeah, folks, even if you don't know about that, uh, that little bit of exorcist lore mm-hmm. about about how she injured herself, like this shot is already just hard to watch. Right. She falls back into the frame. And let's let's just forget about the coccyx for just a second, because the way her neck and head whip violently back and into the wall is by itself absolutely unforgivable. That should be enough to make your blood boil even for like a stunt person that is unacceptable like Mm -hmm. people have gone to court for less whiplash than that than what is in that shot and probably the only reason she never talks about that is because the absolute agony of what she's feeling in her lower spine right now has completely eclipsed it Mm -hmm. and you can see the pain on her face and Speaking of seeing it, folks, this is literally adding insult to an injury here. If you'll notice, the camera moves in. It moves in on her face to get a better look at this real injury that has happened. You may also notice that this cut is relatively short. Mm -hmm. That's because it's cut right before Ellen Burstyn, not Chris McNeil. But Ellen Burstyn shouts, turn the fucking camera off, Mm -hmm. because even in her pain, even in her agony, she could see that she could see Friedkin motioning to Owen Roisman to move in closer. And she could not stand the fact that they were willing to get a quick shot before calling an ambulance. Keenan, what is your assessment of all of this? Well, yeah, you talked about that as well in the Linda Blair um, in the Linda Blair shot where we actually do have behind the scenes footage where it's, you know, we see the full um, the full thing where Linda Blair is injured and it's, you know, they keep rolling. You can a little see bit her crying. Yeah. You can see her crying and it's Ellen Burson who goes to, you know, who goes to go and, and uh, you know, comfort, comfort Linda yeah. Blair, right? When it's, it's not mm-hmm. Billy Friedkin is doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, not, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah, so my assessment is bad. No, no mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. No, no good, Billy. Yeah, yeah. Let uh, the records show, folks. We are anti <laughs> Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair injury on right. the Exorcist Minute. Yeah, it's interesting when when uh, Ellen Burstyn is recounting that. I think we saw the same interview. She has to say, mm-hmm. "Turn the effing camera off." She has like, right? I wonder because she does play a lot of uh, oftentimes high strung women and you know women who. Um, Part of the reason often you hire Ellen Burstyn is to to 
show this simmering anger and then she gets these big moments where she tells people off you know um mm-hmm. but I, in her real life i wonder if she has trouble swearing or not oh yeah because <laughs> uh yeah um the the uh stunt performer the guy marcel um as mm-hmm. he's telling in the interview that i saw um he's like are you sure you want me to do this to you Bill? you know ellen ellen burson this is a really nice lady is how he describes her yes right? yeah yeah he calls her a nice lady right. yeah. so, do you want me to do this she's such a nice lady mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so yeah and, and i guess i guess that's that that is something that um that that we can never we can never know mm-hmm. but um but yeah i imagine like if there if there was a time for ellen burson to to actually say fucking right um it would be it would be when she when when friedkin breaks her coccyx right yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but so I, I think the thing that gets me the most is that it seems like we were talking about so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I don't know enough about stunts and special effects or even just like cinematography, but I feel like there are so many other safer ways to get this shot or the message behind this shot without literally breaking someone's back, literally breaking your mama's back. Right. right? <laughs> yes. I mean, for Christ's sake, they put a pillow at the base of that fireplace to catch that falling picture frame. Exactly. Remember in the, in the hypnotism scene? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, you don't want to break a frame, but like. <laughs> right. Where's the pillow here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, you're telling me there was no other way, like like another body double or just or just some padding or a pillow, mm-hmm. right, to, you know, make her butt look a little bit bigger for, for safety, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, that picture frame would have cost them 50 cents every time, right? Yeah. Every single time they wanted to break that picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we have Ellen. We've already paid her, you know, her salary for the whole movie. So we have her. So we can just keep throwing <laughs> her back over and over and over again. You're being, you're, oh, now you're, okay, now I get it. Yes, I'm being, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, I am being sarcastic. But that's, that's the kind of economic thinking that goes into some of these decisions sometimes. Like, wow, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I like, yeah. And, or, or like even, Keenan, why can't Ellen Burstyn just fly back on her own? I'm sure she wanted to. I'm, I'm, I yeah. bet they didn't let her show that, you know, you know. Um, I'm an actor. I can pretend like I was smacked across the room. Like, right, you know. Right. Um, or, you know, if we have this wire thing, it could be Ellen Burstyn falls to the floor on a pillow off frame and the wire pulls her back to once she's landed, the wire could pull her back to the uh, the wall. So the actual hmm. fall, which is what hurts her, you know, the fall to the floor is what hurts her, not the um, her hitting her head against the wall. So she could just You're saying fall. That's, that's what could have happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like she could just fall herself, you know, and, and be in control yeah. of her own fall, which is off camera, you know. Right. And then and then the wire could pull her back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like one of the first acting classes that I took here in L.A. Mm-hmm. was a stage combat class where like we would fight with swords and we would do like like punches and kicks and stuff like that. And we would do tumblings like we would learn how to tumble or fly back right. from a punch. And like most importantly, how to fall. Right. There's got to be a better way to do this, a better way than like trusting a guy who is essentially blind because mm-hmm. he can't see you because he's behind this the wall mm-hmm. uh like when he's pulling and trusting him to yank you backwards to land on your back i say there's a better way to do this there's an infinite number of better ways to do this mm-hmm. i don't think there's a worse way to do this right um i it, it would be safer if linda blair actually smacked ellen Burstyn across the wall right or like like a, a smacked her to the wall yeah because right? because most of it would be relying on ellen Burstyn acting yes right, right. Aye, aye, aye. okay so now, folks, as, as much as I hated talking about that actual real-life horror, um, the next shot brings us back 
into the realm of well-crafted fictional horror. <laughs> this next shot of Linda Blair's face as the thing inside Reagan is observing its handiwork is so quick, but let us not go past it just yet because this look that Linda Blair is giving is so disturbing and also so interesting as a choice uh, because at this moment, the demon is not smiling. Mm -hmm. You would expect after this victory for the demon to be like grinning and gloating, like, like, look at this, look at what I have done, right? I have caused massive amounts of, of uh, physical, mental, and emotional, da emotional damage to, to both of you, right? Mm -hmm. I got both of you. And you would expect a 14-year-old actor playing a demon, hell, you would expect an adult actor playing a demon to be uh, grinning mm -hmm. and leering and gloating over this victory they just had, right? That, that would have been my first choice, like, haha, I got you, right? But Instead, what Linda Blair is giving us is this intense, hungry mm -hmm. stare, right? It, it, is this, it is the same expression on the Captain Howdy face in the void, right? And I, and I thought, oh my God, how appropriate, right? It's that same look of like intense, almost lustful hunger as if she's taking it all in, eating it up with her eyes, right? And that is something I noticed this time around and something I think we can examine mm -hmm. as we continue through this film. How is our Captain Howdy similar to the devils and the demons that we've seen before and since? And how is he different? Mm -hmm. right? um, but yeah, and I think part of that is that... Um, that 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 hunger whenever he is observing something observing pain right this shot of linda blair where her her lips are just getting so chapped just uh i'm just thinking about, i have a cold right now <laughs> i'm like oh she's got what i have yeah <laughs> she's got one of these summer colds that i've got oh goodness them summer colds are the worst <laughs> i wouldn't go up there to the old bacon place if i were you <laughs> They you might catch a summer cold. <laughs> they got themselves a case of the cat fever. <laughs> <laughs> Not cat scratch fever. That's a different thing. No, my cats are too well behaved. <laughs> so yeah, so so folks, if you if you've noticed, uh, you know, Keenan's not feeling um, his best right now, but he is still giving us a stellar. Uh, uh, performance here. Oh, so. it's, it's so hard. It's so difficult. Yeah. It's, go, it's so difficult <laughs> to go to my my side job and talk about movies. Oh, boy. You're a martyr, Keenan. <laughs> You're a saint. We'll make a little Catholic statue of you, and it'll just be... <laughs> It'll just be you and a microphone. <laughs> but you're looking up, you're holding your 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 throat, and you're looking exactly. up, looking up to God, like with the with that sad kind of like expression. He sat in a chair and he talked about movies, <laughs> and his co-host wouldn't let him leave. No, no, Keenan Keenan is doing this all like like he's he's. He is, uh, this this is his choice, and and, and I'm very very grateful. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I'm just recording on my birthday, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was gonna wait till the end. All right, all right. Oh no 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 no. We'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. <laughs> that was mean. Anyway, I should have yeah, stealing your. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so from here, we cut back to a close-up on Chris's face. She turns when she sees Sharon and sees her and Willie running down the hall. Her and Willie, but not Carl. Mm -hmm. And as our friend at Exorcist Reviews on YouTube has pointed out, why? Because Carl is already here in this room. <gasps> Carl's already in the room the whole time? The whole time! <laughs> 
<laughs> so this would be the second time that we have an action scene in this room. Yes. And then it turns out that Carl's been there. <laughs> Because <laughs> right, Carl was in the bathroom right. when when she went crazy on Dr. Klein. Yes, listeners will remember that that Carl, <laughs> he had to go, had to take a little break. And it was this awkward moment of he was cleaning, he was he was cleaning Miss Reagan's room. Right. And, uh, you know, nature calls. And yeah. uh, and he went in there with, uh, you know, was reading the, uh, the Washington Times and uh, the Washington Post. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he lost track of time. And then all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden he hears Sally Field out there and... Uh, <laughs> Saying the sow is mine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he decides maybe I should just uh, wait until they all go, and then, and then it gets more and more intense, and it's just you know, it's you you had to be there, uh, and 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 I was there. Was... <laughs> so, so I have always wondered about this, right? We mm. ta- we teased this in their last minute. I've right. always wondered about, yeah, why is it a shot of Sharon and Willie coming in, and not um, Carl, and not Carl, who mm-hmm. we have seen in the previous scene with um, Detective Kinderman. Right, he was he was downstairs. Right, he was, he was he, downstairs. He was, he's like, a uh, man is here to see you. What man? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah, so our friend at Extras Reviews points out that that Carl is there, right? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, but in the book, we we have been told that Carl is here um, in this room. Yes, yes. So actually, um, let's see, where is it? Yeah. So if you'll remember, folks, um, yeah, the book does tell us that Carl was already up there. In fact, when uh, when Chris first hears this deep masculine voice shouting in like. I guess you would say like sinister harmony uh, with Reagan. Um, She assumes that it is Carl. uh, But then as she gets upstairs and closer to that room, she realizes it is a voice she has never heard before. However, upon opening the door, she also finds Carl sprawled on the floor unconscious. So we are led to assume that Carl was up there when Captain Howdy uh, started this uh, particular fit. And uh, Carl tried to help Reagan only to be knocked aside like a rag doll, Mm -hmm. Uh, like like rags doll. (laughs) <laughs> um, like like rags rag doll exactly yeah. so like we have in the uh the shot of chris uh being pulled back we where we have four frames of this wire mm-hmm. we do actually get to see carl in there um this yes. had to be pointed out i had to look at this on extras reviews um over and over and over again i was like what what are we talking about i don't mm-hmm. see carl anywhere but no he is there did you see it or did you had to have you had to have this pointed out to you as well right? i had to yeah i had to go on to uh, actually yeah yeah uh, exorcist reviews uh, reached out to us and let us know okay, and great. then i i checked their um uh, their youtube video and yep it it, it explains yeah. it yeah now that i've seen it i will not be able to unsee it, it it's very very brief but there's mm-hmm. a shot where the armoire is going to come uh coming over to Chris. It's sort mm-hmm. of like walking over at her, right? Yeah, it's probably yeah, being yeah. pulled by the exact same wire that they probably like untethered the wire from Ellen Burson and then put it onto this armoire. Yeah. Right? Anything to save a buck. <laughs> right. So we Billy. do get <laughs> we get it for a little bit longer. Of course, our eyes are watching this armoire come directly at the camera. Mm-hmm. So if you purposely watch the movie incorrectly as we do and direct mm-hmm. your attention to the base of the bed, yes. um, you could see a man's shoe Mm-hmm. And right above it, um, a man's arm lying there. And then some people have argued in the extras review like um, discussion. They're like, no, that's like a, a crew person or something. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there's no reason why a crew person would be um, fl- splayed out the way they're doing. They're not like yeah. working or anything. And they're like directly on their back. So that that is, right. uh, I mean, almost certainly that is Carl or, or a, a double for Carl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, no reason that a crew member would be dressed as a butler. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's true. It is really fun, right? When you see the, some of the behind the scenes footage of the Exorcist or, or like on Star Wars, you mm-hmm. can see behind the scenes footage and there's like, you know, all this like period um, sci-fi stuff. And then there's like the boom guy holding yeah. um, like in pink hot shorts holding. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's fun on the Exorcist. Yeah. You can yes. see that as well. But they, they did not wear Carl's shoes just for fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> just Rudolf Schindler. It's just like, right. it's like, oh yeah, we we had some fun, you know, on set of, of The Exorcist. We played pranks on each other, and then Rudolf <laughs> Schindler comes out. He's like, where are my shoes? <laughs> Somebody took my shoes. And he's just wearing like fuzzy pink slippers, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Carl is in that shot, um, and and that is that goes with what the book was uh, saying as well. Mm-hmm. So when we actually in this original script here. Um, mm-hmm. We have it called out that Chris, when she comes in, she hears a male voice, mm-hmm. right? And she expects that it's going to be Carl. But then it turns out to be Mercedes McCambridge, star Mercedes of film McCambridge. and radio. <laughs> Major radio star, Mercedes McCambridge. All the king's um, men. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then, yeah. So then Chris comes in expecting to see Carl with this male voice. Male voice says, you'll do as I tell you, filth. You'll... Mm. Chris has turned head to stare at, point of view at Carl, blood trickling down from forehead. He mm. lies unconscious on the floor near the bureau. Mm. So they almost certainly had recorded or filmed this, you know, mm. of Carl there and then yeah. decided, you know what, we can, for whatever reason, we can cut that. Right. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be less annoyed um, if my scene was cut where, like, all I had to do was, like, you know, take a nap. If I was doing some like horrible stunt, like like if they, you know, and 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 like I injured myself. Well, no, I see. Hmm. Keenan, want to see that? Right? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, would you be more uh, like uh, of of Ellen Burstyn's mm-hmm. mind, where it's like I don't want to see the 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 shot that actually hurt me, or would you be like, so you injured me and you didn't even use it, like? <laughs> Because now I'm th- it's like, dang, okay, what would I, like, if, if given the choice, like, you know, knock on wood that this never happens, but. Um, you know, this must be, this must be kind of bittersweet for her because it is, you know, in the, in the shot, it's a good performance of her. It's an affecting mm-hmm. shot. Like people, people have this visceral reaction to it and then they learn it was one where she got hurt and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that shot, you know, and yeah. they're like, that was, I remember that. Like, uh, like I knew it, it was something impactful to me, right. you know, uh, so I don't know, like, I, it'd be nice if. I suppose if if Friedkin weren't vindicated, you know, you know, like, right. like if it turned out that it was a terrible take, but it wasn't, it was a good take. Yeah, I think the the best um, the best of a bad situation, let's say, mm-hmm. would be if the story came out that she injured herself. Friedkin rushes over and is like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, uh, 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 Miss Burstyn, we, we promise we won't use that footage. And then Ellen Burstyn is like, no, I like you, you're going to use that or something like that. And then that's like, like, so it's like, oh, did you know that Ellen Burstyn, like she injured herself and she insisted that it was in the movie. And then like that's giving her agency and that's like, oh, wow, she like, you know, she she suffered for her art and she right. made sure that it was, you know, right. Sure. But at the but, same time, I can also know. understand, like, turn that fucking camera off. <laughs> but, you know, the story, the best case scenario you're talking about doesn't happen because Billy Friedman doesn't have empathy for his collaborators. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so over and over again. It takes a human being <laughs> for that to. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. But, yeah. So now Sharon and Willie are running up to see what the matter is. But Captain Howdy says, nope. And he pushes that chair in front of the door, closing mm-hmm. it with his powers i mean i i don't mean like he jumped out of bed and he was like eh, er, eh, right like, 
And then he turns to Chris and he's like, a little help here, right? Your daughter's not exactly a bodybuilder. If I try this myself, I might hurt my back. Oh. And that's when he smiles. <laughs> but no, um, we cut back to Chris grimacing in pain as she tries to get up off the floor. But then she stops as she sees this huge... I, I, I called it a chest of drawers. You're calling it an armoire? Oh, I'm probably wrong. Don't take my interior design advice. Or, uh... Okay. <laughs> Folks, I actually tried to Google. I was like, what the hell is this? Like a chest of drawers, an armoire, um, a, a, just a, 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 a wardrobe chest or something like that. It's, I mean, like, you know, you know what it is. You've seen, you've seen no, this. No, it's not an arm. Hold on. It's not an armoire. Is it Keenan? <laughs> an armoire has to have doors, I think. Oh. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much we've gone into this about how embarrassed I am as a gay man for not <laughs> not knowing basic things. <laughs> Have we talked about this on this? Like I, you know, I've always felt like a bad gay. I don't dance. I don't drink. You know, I I, uh, I don't dress particularly well. You know, which is quite useful as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Keenan, I was going to say, I was going to comment, um, today's dress code was just a little bit, um, I think it's affecting our reads right now. Honestly. I'm sure I'm wearing the exact same thing I've worn the past five Sundays. <laughs> We've done this Whereas much like, much like Alfred Hitchcock, I always wear a tie when I record, folks. Yes, I, I don't know any of the interior design terms for furniture, et cetera. Like, like Maggie Simpson can point to a credenza and I can't, you know? Yeah. No. <laughs> but this is not an armoire. I apologize. Thank you for saving the emails. <laughs> this is, yeah, some kind of, it's a dresser. Right? It's a dresser, yeah. Like <laughs> it, a, a chest of drawers, a dresser. It's a big, heavy thing that holds Reagan's clothes. With the, and that's also not Carl. Because <laughs> he's also a big, heavy thing that holds Reagan's clothes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> No, well, I know an I know an Amwa is because that's a character in um, Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah. She has she has doors that she opens up, right? I was going to make a Beauty and the Beast joke here because I mean oh. it's like the thing is coming to life on its own and it's like walking <laughs> towards her. It's like be ah uh, yes <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tries the green stuff. It's delicious. <laughs> Don't believe me? Ask these bitches. They're your daughters. <laughs> They're your maids. <laughs> God. Oh God. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. Hmm? I have to we'll 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 pretend like I'm coming up with this <laughs> on the fly. Do you know what I'm trying to look for? No. Okay. Do you, do you remember we um we had in the in the the compelling conversations we had that Disney thing? And I did a whole. Oh, you've done this already? Oh, no, I didn't remember that. Where is it? Let me find it. Come on, come on, come on. There we go. All right. Oh, wait, Keenan, Keenan, how about this? Curse by curse, bout by bout, till he shouts, I cast you out! At the bottom of the stairs, you're laid to rest. Go on and try to tell me what you think compels me. Be possessed. Be possessed. Be possessed. Be possessed. Michael, Michael Poteet had, had one also. He's like, he, he's the uh, the one who, who got me into this. He's, oh, okay. He, uh, so, he, so he goes, be possessed, be possessed. Put the priest's son to the test. Vomit up your split pea soup and let Monsignor do the rest. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, some of it's so. Is that one lump or two? <laughs> oh, God. He's come here to break the spell. <laughs> Ah. Ugh, so what we're saying, folks, is um, the Exorcist and Beauty and the Beast. I mean, you know, they sync like, up if you if you press play at the exact same time. <laughs> absolutely right. When those priests, uh, you know, uh, 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 when when Father Karras falls out the window and Gaston mm-hmm. falls off the parapet, I mean, it's, it's right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay. Um, that's what. Okay. Yeah. So. So, so, so back again, we're back again in, in the, in the film. Um, so yeah, so, so like we were saying before we, we got distracted by the name of this piece of furniture (laughs) and folks don't write in the exorcist minute at (laughs) gmail.com. We don't care what this thing is. I Um, wish I did. I wish I was, you know, gay enough to know the difference. I mean, there's, there's, Keenan, there's a lot of different flavors of, uh, of, of gay (laughs) as is, is my understanding. Even though I'm not part of that uh, community. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> uh, we we cut back to Chris uh, grimacing in pain as she tries to get up off the floor. But then she stops as she sees this huge chest of drawers <laughs> now coming towards her. Um, and at first we are with Chris on the floor as this thing mm-hmm. towers over us. But then we switch to what seems to be a POV of the, the dresser itself. Yeah. Very effective. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like, like, and, and it's, it's like, like menacing Chris. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's getting closer and closer. And then back to Chris as this piece of furniture blocks out everything else in our vision. So we cut from there to another vantage point on the floor. It's kind of from uh, Carl's shoes point of view. Yeah, right. This is this is Carl's shoe POV. And from here, we see that Chris is able to escape from being cornered. The, the chest is still moving, by the way, right? right. Which which would suggest Keenan, which would suggest that Ellen Burstyn actually had to be in that position while that heavy chest of drawers was bearing down on her. <laughs> Like in fact, there's actually like bits of footage where Friedkin seems to be like um like testing out all of these effects, mm-hmm. and he's in Burstyn's position, sort of like choreographing it all out, right? And right. you see like you see the chair move, and then you see the chest of drawers come after him. So I'm assuming again, even though we never see it in the finished film, I'm assuming I'm assuming there is a shot somewhere where Ellen Burstyn really is being attacked by this chest of drawers, mm-hmm. even though you could just recreate what we have in the movie without her or the drawers ever in the same shot. Yeah. Like you could just have that, that be the camera as it, as it gets closer. Right. Yeah. Well, they ended up with something much more elegant. I don't know if they went through it and actually had that shot, but yeah, what's in the movie is much better. Um, you know, with this footage of, um, of Friedkin back there doing all this, I mean, this is something that's kind of, it, it, it's, it seems to make sense sometimes where it's like, okay, from a safety perspective, okay, the director's going to go through what the actor's going through, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But m- my experience is that what, what that can do is you can give the director a false sense of empathy with the actor. And they're yes. like, well, I'm willing to do it. So why can't this actor do it? Which is two right. different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. just because I, you know, I'm a sociopath, you know, so mm-hmm. why aren't they willing to do this type of thing? So right. I could totally even see on, Friedkin doing that. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then even on another level, it's like mm-hmm. it, it, it may not have malfunctioned for him. Right. Mm-hmm. But that, I can I can very 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 easily see that chest of drawers like 
tipping. Right. Like it, it hits a little like um, irregularity in the wood paneling mm-hmm. and it just tumbles over on top of Ellen Burstyn. Sure. All sorts of things could happen, right? Mm. And have you ever had like like something with drawers fall on you? Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, you know, the surprise that comes with that. <laughs> Is that the drawers sort of each individually uh, pull out and hit you, punch you in the face. Yeah. Each, each time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So folks, that, that has happened to me. I guess um, it's happened to both of us. I wonder if that's a common, <laughs> and you were surprised as well that, uh, yeah. beyond the initial, uh, hit of the, the full thing, there's also these individual smaller yeah. shocking punches. Yeah. It was actually, I mean, like, like thinking back on it, it actually was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> Because I put my hat like same thing, same same kind of like piece of furniture here, right? Um, and and it, it it leans over and it, and it falls on me, and I put my hands out to catch the bulk mm. of the chest, mm-hmm. but then the thing that I'm not touching is this drawer, which so now the body of the chest has has stopped, and the drawer just reaches out and punches me in the face. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, so that can like. Like doubly dangerous, folks. Right. So I'm just thinking of poor Ellen Burstyn there again, and you know they're pulling it by a wire. Like, yeah, try to try to uh, uh, pull a a heavy, even if empty, chest of drawers like across the room and not have it tip over. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. Um. So our next shot, folks, is the iconic head spinning scene. Mm. Actually, yeah, they they call it head spinning, right? But it's not like it's not like Reagan is going, you know. <laughs> It's it's more of a it's more of a head turning scene, right? I it's, it's not like Beetlejuice. Yeah, but that's not as that doesn't really capture <laughs> the uh, the spirit of what's going on. Head like turning or pivoting. I mean, it it's a natural. So I don't right. know what you'd call it. Maybe maybe we don't have a word for it because it's it's so unusual. I suppose. Yes. Yeah. But it's it's certainly not spinning. It's not like a top. Right? Yes, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, so Reagan is now sitting up in her bed with her back to Chris, but now her head is turned all the way around. And yes, folks, now Captain Howdy is smiling. We cut back to Chris, who has made some progress. She's now on the other side of that chair, trying to push it away from the door. And now we hear a voice begin to speak. Now, Keenan, I at first did not pick up who this was supposed to be. Actually, so remember, folks, I said way back in minute one of this podcast that this was the scene that I walked in on when uh, my parents were watching it. And I remember the demon speaking, and this was the first and only time I had heard the demon speak. So I just thought this was the demon's voice. But then again, later, still as a kid, I watched the whole thing all the way through, and I still didn't pick up on the fact that this is Burke Denning's voice. Uh And the reason he's using, the reason Captain Howdy is using Burke's voice and saying what he's saying is to confirm to Chris the thing that she has been fearing, that Reagan killed Burke, right? Was this obvious to you on the first pass or? or this was not obvious to me until you pointed it out on this podcast. So I've seen On this movie. podcast right now? Uh, no, not in this minute, but uh, oh, yeah, okay, previously. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought we had captured something. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, we did in, in an earlier minute. Uh, so I forget which one that is. Oh, okay. Tell okay. me, but, uh, but yeah, that had not occurred to me. Um, I'm not sure why, but no, that that, that just never made it uh, into my thought process yeah. at all. It's it's just like 
because it's not Reagan's voice, you immediately like that's it's almost like that's that's all your brain can handle. It's like that's not Linda Blair's voice. And then that's all that's that's it. Well, and also then, also her fucking head's turning around and yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on there's here. There's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's a pretty shocking moment. So, yeah. yeah. So I've never ever put that together until you mentioned it earlier of we because we were talking about why she says cunting, you know, and how right. stra- strange of a word that is. And it's, oh, it's because Burke says cunting and they get this is Burke's voice. But yeah, right, I, I, right. I, that had never occurred to me before yeah. we were looking through this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like Captain Howdy in Reagan's body mm-hmm. using Burke's voice says, do you know what she did? Your cunting daughter. Now, in the TV version I had first seen, <laughs> right, when I walked in, like they had changed it to your daughter. Which so this may- is what your your parents are watching was the TV yeah, version? is the TV version, right? <laughs> not, not the theatrical version, the, right. the TV, like on the television. Which which may add to the confusion because like you're taking away Burke's favorite swear word, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, so like again, like I was a kid, I didn't even notice Burke when he was alive when I first watched right. this all the way through, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then when he died off screen, like just like Karis's mother died off screen, I mm-hmm. sort of just thought like, well, okay, this is a world, this is the world of this movie, like just tragedy and death, like adding to the scariness, right? right. But I was like waiting for like the demon, so I didn't even like put two and two together that like Burke died because of Reagan slash demon. Right. Right. You know, this is a very well thought of movie, but Mm -hmm. there, there are, there are critics of maybe not the extras specifically that I've read, but of like the kind of seventies blockbuster film that the Godfather, the exorcist, Jaws, Star Wars, Close Encounters become uh, Uh leading up to like Raiders of the Lost Ark that like that, that the critique of that type of movie as sort of a genre of blockbuster is that they become like roller coaster rides Mm. and that they are so overwhelming that that nuance is lost. So again, I think individually Ah. you'd be hard to be like, Oh, in the Godfather, everything is so clear, right. Or whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. but like, it's possible. Like, like, there's, there's, I could, I could understand their point of view. Where it's like in the book, that's clearer because we're going into nuance and we're going into feeling and and emotion right. and implications and like, oh, what's the bigger picture? Whereas this, and you is, also have like the inner monologue of Chris's like thoughts, yeah, worrying yeah. about you know um, Reagan killing Burke and all that. Yeah, and this is so overwhelmingly visceral, like this type mm-hmm. of filmmaking that you know I could excuse like like I don't know if the filmmakers are are like necessarily worried that we don't make those get those implications because like mm-hmm. no one no one is like why is this happening? We're just so overtaken right by yeah. by this pure emotion yeah i think for the longest time i actually thought when she says do you know what she did mm-hmm. i thought she was referring to the crucifix uh-huh yes like I think do so you know too. what your daughter did like right. like she's she did something very very bad right right mm-hmm. with the crucifix like i i had i did not put it together that that he he was talking about Reagan killing Burke at right. all. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It wasn't until it wasn't until I read the book and like that realization uh, came to light. But uh, but yeah, it, like as you say, Keenan, it's it, we we may not necessarily need that for the for this this scene to to impact us um, mm-hmm. and and yeah, scar us for life, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah. Now a couple of things before we leave this room, leave this act. And begin act two of our movie. Yes, folks, this is the end of act one. (laughs) Can you believe it? An hour and 20 minutes into the film. And here we are, second act. But, but, before we move on, before the curtain closes on this grisly, gruesome scene, let's go behind the scenes again and talk a little bit about this dummy. 
So now this this dummy was a collaboration between Dick Smith and uh, Marcel Decoteur. Um, anecdotally, Decoteur said to Smith, you take care of the outside and I'll take care of the inside. And so uh, Dick Smith uh, made a full body cast of, uh, of Linda Blair and Marcel fitted the head with all the um, the mechanisms which would give it life. Um, there is some uh, behind the scenes footage floating around. I'll post a link in the listener group where you can see them lift up the wig from behind and and open up the head and mm-hmm. and you can see all the uh the inside stuff um that's you know there to like move the eyes and whatnot um and we don't see it here but later on they would have to modify the dummy even more once the room was refrigerated and mm-hmm. we will talk about that when we get there but for now keenan what do you think about this dummy is this is this effective is it convincing for me it's convincing enough in in the context of the film like i've heard i've heard some complaints of it uh, you know from students or, or people who are watching it now that it's not as realistic as they would hope but um mm. i mean it is it's there for a very brief amount of time and yes. when you're looking at it out of the context of the film without the sound i think it's much easier mm-hmm. to, to like pick it apart but just for that shock value of it it it, it works for me if you're yeah. watching it the correct way if you're watching it the wrong way like me and you <laughs> or like we're doing uh it, you know you see it's a dummy yes yeah yeah and Again, folks, I, I think we talked about this in earlier minutes with um, with the Uncanny Valley. I think um, I think even the most sophisticated dummy would have a tough time fooling us for long. Um, right. There's there's just certain postures and movements, uh, how our skeleton holds and distributes the weight of our mm-hmm. fat and our muscles, stuff we don't even notice right. uh, until it's not there. And and just the fact that we're always moving, even when we're still, like like I, I'm using finger quotes when I say still, mm-hmm. right? Because we're never really still unless unless we're dead. <laughs> and, that's, and, and that's why dummies are creepier the more detailed they are because mm-hmm. then they just look like a dead person, right? Right. Um, and, and when we make big movements, it's actually comprised of like hundreds of smaller movements, shifting and correcting and breathing and, and slowing and quickening, all of that stuff, right? Um, there's, there's this term in animation called easing. Keenan, have you heard of this? A little bit. I, I have trouble with it, but yes. Okay. So real quick, um, easing in animation is based on the understanding that nothing goes from zero to 100 when it moves or 100 to zero when it stops. There's there's a process of uh, building up speed, doing the action, and then slowing back down and then stopping, right? Uh-huh. If you... S- yeah, if you skip these steps, your actions seem herky-jerky, like a robot, or a dummy, or a reanimated dead person, like a zombie, right? Um, the difference between dancing like a robot and dancing like a person is easing in and out of different poses. So so just, oh. I mean, well, like, think that. Of, I mean, that, that's a much better explanation of easing than I've heard before, so thanks. Yeah. I, I think I get it now, Lester. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, like, think about, like, like when, when people do the robot as a dance, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. They're taking out all of the eases. They're like... Oh, uh-huh, right. Yeah. So that's like instead of instead of like when you dance normally, like think of ballet, right? Think of think of a robot trying to do ballet. That's without the eases, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is as slow and fluid as this turning of the head is, you can still kind of see um, the absence of like actual human motion in mm-hmm. here, right? right. If, if you're looking for it, right? Um, in any case, though. I think it actually works here. It adds to the creepiness, right? And whether that's intentional or unintentional on Freakin's part, um, I think filmmakers today understand that we're not yet at the level where we can replicate life without it looking creepy. Mm-hmm. So why not just use it specifically for the horror genre, right? So like you have Annabelle and Chucky, and I guess the newest one is um, uh, uh, Megan. Mm-hmm. With the three. Right? 
the th- the <laughs> m- m- Thregan, right? <laughs> right. Right up there with the the v- v- Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's taking an advantage of and utilizing the fact that we can't fully replicate life, right? Even even today's AI, right? As 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 advanced and as scary as it is for 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 different reasons, for very different reasons, still has that like creepy, not quite real look and sound to it, mm-hmm. right? It's the it's the absence of flaws, the absence of imperfections, right? I haven't yet heard an AI voice um uh do that. You see that thing? The, <laughs> right? the thing that I just did, right? right? Yeah. So, so all of our flaws, all of our imperfections, right? Like an AI is, is going to like take all of those out and sound absolutely perfect, right? Unless you program it to sound as dumb as I sound sometimes. <laughs> right. Or as a human being yeah. does, right? Yeah. As a human being does. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So this is 36 frames I was counting uh, of this dummy. And yeah, I mean, just it takes a couple of frames for us to even understand what we're looking at when we cut to something. Uh, right. You know, so, so I mean, we're talking about maybe a full second of, of this and it's totally fine for me. Yeah. I, I, the nitpicking I think happens when you are taking it out of context, you're looking just at that shot without the shot that comes before it, or again, mm-hmm. taking the sound out of it. But uh, yeah, it's such a shocking idea. I don't think we needed to, you know, quote unquote, look real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, like the uncanny valleyness, like just adds to it. Which is exactly what, right. <laughs> Now, folks, one last thing before we close on Act 1 of our story. Uh, this is a rather important thing. Keenan, do you know that this scene is actually the subject of uh, not one argument between our director, William Friedkin, and our writer-slash-producer, William Peter Blatty? Not one, but two disagreements. Uh, this is Did you know about the other one? The head spin? I, I'm not sure. Yes. So, so yeah. So, apparently, folks, it mm. was never Blatty's intention for Reagan's head to spin all the way around. All the way around. All the way around. <laughs> um, that was Friedkin, not Blatty. Uh-huh. Why? Because if Captain Howdy really did spin Reagan's head all the way around, um, it would kill her. She would die. <laughs> I guess. I yeah. Mean... And that was never Blatty's intention. Like, according to Blatty, mm-hmm. right, his idea was that Captain Howdy would twist her neck almost to the breaking point to, like, an excruciatingly painful degree as another way of mocking Chris. Like, do you know what she did? This is what she did to Burke. Mm-hmm. Do you see? And this is what I can do at any moment to her. Okay. Now, the reason I bring this up is because there are scenes later in the book which are full of tension about whether or not Reagan will survive, right? She's malnourished, she's dehydrated, she's sleep-deprived, and her heart is getting weaker and weaker. And this exorcism, or or the, the demon's um, uh, uh, response to the exorcism, mm-hmm. is killing Reagan's body. And there's this weight on Karis uh, as he thinks about how he could save her if he just got her to a hospital. And and if, if she died in this room, it would be his fault. And there's a moment where he gives her um, Librium to calm her down, mm-hmm. but then he notices how feeble her heart rate is, and the demon says, ah, you shouldn't have given her that Librium. Now I'm not going to let her sleep. And he has this chilling realization that the shot he just gave her is probably going to kill her or put her in a coma. Mm-hmm. But all of that tension, that whole interaction, means nothing. If Captain Howdy can just spin her head around like Beetlejuice with no real-world consequences, <laughs> right? Like, like this drama relies on a world with real-life consequences, right? And, and that was Blatty's argument. Now, somehow, 
Friedkin convinced him otherwise. Uh And the result is probably the most iconic visual of the entire movie, right? Even little kids who don't know what the exorcist is still take an action figure. They turn its head around and they say, look, it's the exorcist, right? Mm -hmm. This is the thing for this movie. And after the fact, Blatty has admitted that once again, Billy was right. So Keenan, what do you think of Blatty's argument here? What, like, like, what do you think of this weird inconsistency about? Like- yeah, I, I I do think Friedkin is right. I don't think that we're thinking about any of that stuff, and it doesn't mm. it doesn't worry me. I, I think it's just okay. It's magic, and that's okay. Yeah, right. Like like Captain Howdy can do whatever he he wants, and or at least you and- know he could do this obviously because he did it. So like yeah. we're not really <laughs> thinking about like can he do that? Well, we did. <laughs> yeah, right there. Yeah. yeah. And folks, this is something I want to hear from you about as well. Like, what do you think, right? It's hard to imagine an exorcist movie without the head spinning, mm-hmm, right? right? But I also kind of like, I was like, what Blatty says makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, what about you? You can write to us at theexorcistminute at gmail.com or you can post uh, in our listener group and, and get a discussion going. Uh, you can also tweet us now or send a, a message on Instagram. Both of those are are just uh, at the exorcist minute. So check us out on those platforms and, and tell us what you think. Um, And stick around because I post memes and artwork and, and other exorcist related stuff so yeah yeah i think um, in, in a novel we probably are you may you might make those connections and think about the implications of it but in this roller coaster ride of a film that i was talking about yeah maybe we mm-hmm. maybe we're just i've that's never occurred to me i've never never been bothered by it yeah yeah you don't have time okay. to think about it probably no no it, it happens too fast mm-hmm. right yeah okay so now I think we can finally leave this room and leave this act <laughs> folks we've made it we have reached the end of Act 1. Please eject the video cassette and insert the cassette labeled The Exorcist Part 2. Please turn the disc over and press play. Please subscribe to Patreon for Act... No, no, no. Can you imagine? I can oh. imagine. Mm. No. Okay, this is it, folks. Folks, we are in Act 2. Now, Keenan, one more time. Could you explain to us why this would be considered Act 2, even though it is so late in the movie? Okay, so you can totally disagree with us on this if you want to, but I would mm. say that like the the definition of Act 2 by a lot of people's standards is like when we have decided that, they, that we are going to try to solve the problem of the movie. And mm. so far, we've been trying to solve the problem of the... We haven't been trying to solve the problem of the movie of... We're trying to figure out the problem. Right, right. We've been trying to figure out it or we've been trying to solve a side effect of it. But the problem is that she's possessed by a demon. Yes. So before that, we have been not trying to trying to do anything about the demon at all. We've been trying to cure the other stuff in it. So I would say mm-hmm. that Act Two is when we say, okay, we're going to solve the actual problem that involves, um, you know, our two main characters meeting each other yes, and coming for the first up time for the in this first movie. time in the movie and coming up with the plan and like admitting what is going on in the film. Mm-hmm. So by by those regular definitions, this is the beginning of Act Two. You could make other arguments, and I, those would be pretty valid because most of the time, yeah, Act Act One is like half an hour of exploring yeah. and figuring out the ordinary world, and then um, you know being off kilter in such a way that, that we're open to new suggestions, and re, you know being presented with what the problem is, and saying I'm not going to try to solve that. I'm going to refuse the call to adventure and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. that takes us to where we are here. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I could say I could definitely see people arguing with that saying well that's just not how movies work they just don't have um 80 minute act ones but uh i don't know Mm -hmm. it it seems to be doing all the functions that we would want in in our first act here yeah it makes sense to me like as soon as you pointed it out i was like yeah no that that makes perfect sense um okay so folks not only is this the beginning of a new act in the film this is also the exact beginning of a new part Uh in the book we are now in part three 
the abyss. You'll remember that part one was labeled the beginning, very biblical, right? Uh, Part two was the edge. And after a long time spent teetering on that edge, we have now finally fallen into the abyss. And what better way to kick off this leg of the journey than with a little reading? So here we go. A reading from the Book of Bloody. Part three, the abyss. Chapter one. She was standing on the Key Bridge walkway, arms atop the parapet, fidgeting, waiting, while homeward-bound traffic stuttered thickly behind her, while drivers with everyday cares honked horns and bumpers nudged bumpers with scraping indifference. She had reached Mary Jo, told her lies. Reagan's fine. By the way, I've been thinking of another little dinner party. What was the name of that Jesuit psychiatrist again? I thought maybe I'd include him in the... Laughter floating up from below her. A blue-jeaned young couple in a rented canoe. With a quick, nervous gesture, she flicked ash from her cigarette and glanced up the walkway of the bridge toward the district. Someone hurrying toward her, khaki pants and blue sweater. Not a priest. Not him. She looked down at the river again, at her helplessness swirling in the wake of the bright red canoe. She could make out the name on its side. Caprice. Footsteps. The man in the sweater coming closer, slowing down as he reached her. Peripherally, she saw him rest a forearm on the top of the parapet, and quickly she averted her head towards Virginia. Keep moving, creep, she rumbled at him huskily, flipping her cigarette into the river. Or I swear to Christ I'll call a cop. Miss McNeil? I'm Father Karras. She started, reddened, jerked swiftly around, the chipped, rugged face. Oh my God, oh, I, Jesus. She was tugging at her sunglasses, flustered, and immediately pushing them back as the sad, dark eyes probed hers. I should have told you that I wouldn't be in uniform. Sorry. His voice was cradling, stripping her of burden, as his powerful hands clasped gently together. They were large and yet sensitive, veined Michelangelo's. Chris felt her gaze somehow drawn to them instantly. I thought it would be much less conspicuous, he continued. You seemed so concerned about keeping this quiet. Guess I should have been concerned about not making such an ass of myself she retorted, quickly fumbling through her purse. I just thought you were... Human? He interjected with a smile. I knew that when I saw you one day on the campus, she said as she searched now in the pockets of her suit. That's why I called. You seemed human. She looked up and saw him staring at her hands. Got a cigarette, Father? This is actually a really sweet scene. Mm -hmm. Um, I I could get used to this. You you know, Keenan... This new chapter of our story is pretty promising. <laughs> I have a feeling things are going to be all oh, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, so it actually plays out pretty similar here. Um, but before we get to them on the bridge, I want to talk about this chilling, this haunting transition, and then this beautiful shot. So this is another L cut, correct? Right, where we're still hearing Chris scream over this beautiful shot of this uh, foliage, yeah. Yes, okay. So, and, and this is one of the ones I specifically remember from when I first saw this movie. Mm-hmm. It had an effect on me then, and it has an effect on me now. Keenan, um, I don't think in all our talks about L cuts and J cuts, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think we ever talked about when and why you would use one over the other. What is the actual purpose of these cuts? And I'm asking this fully admitting mm-hmm. that this this uh, has has done to me whatever it has <laughs> set out to do. I just don't know what. So actually, like, actually, can I can I try to answer it first? Can I take a stab? Oh at yeah, because I was going to say everything is contextual, right? So yeah, sure. Yeah, what about okay. this one here? Okay, so I feel like it is taking 
two characters. It is linking two characters, uh, the, the the two scenes, in a way that a regular cut would not necessarily link them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen it in other films, and and even in this film, a little later, where it seems like the echo of the previous scene mm-hmm. indicates that the purpose, or indicates that the person in the new scene was like thinking about it. Uh-huh. But that can't be true in this case because they've not met yet. Right. Um, but it also feels like like a really good delineation marker between the two scenes. Like like it really is the end of act one uh, of that part of the story and the beginning of a new chapter, right? It's almost operatic. It's like the final like crescendo, right, of, of uh, Chris's uh, scream, right? Mm-hmm. But it also seems like okay, and this is the crazy one. So tell me if <laughs> okay, I'm like okay. if I'm way off, right? <laughs> that all sounds that, that all makes sense so far. So okay, all right. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, get ready. Um, by having her voice linger as he emerges in this new scene, it feels like he is the answer to her cry. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah. Okay, so it, it feels like the auditory version of a slow dissolve. Like right, like yeah. you know. The chosen one is out there somewhere, but who could he possibly be? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you slow dissolve to like Luke kicking rocks That's on the moisture. Exactly fan. right. <laughs> right. So this feels like the audio visual cue that Chris and Karis are not only part of the same story, but also that he is going to help her. Right. What do you think? Yeah, I think even in a non-narrative way, um, we also have just the idea of like, okay, here's this woman screaming out, and then here's this shot of peaceful you know um peaceful fall foliage mm-hmm. and how beautiful it is right yeah and mm-hmm. if we had just cut right it'd be more ironic it'd be kind of like oh look at this woman here and then we cut without the audio and it's like oh and then there's peace some other place um mm-hmm. by having the audio trail into the next one it's like oh isn't that unsettling that like oh there's peace and beauty but then we're still thinking very much about the previous we're still experiencing the previous um screams and, and heartache Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, and, and they're existing at the same time, right? Like right. there's peace somewhere. Somewhere, but, right. Yeah. Ah, okay. Interesting. But yeah, so so we got this beautiful shot here, folks. Like this this cold autumn morning, orange yellow leaves carried by this chill wind. We're back we're back to wind again, folks. Mm-hmm. Um and Karis emerging onto the scene. Like the angle of the path makes it look like he is rising up out of the earth, right? Ascending. He, he, ascending, mm-hmm. right? He walks quickly, hands in pockets, as if as if hurrying to some appointment. Oh, that sounds familiar too. Right? <laughs> now we cut from there to a shot of a of a bridge, right? Which seems a lot smaller than I remember actually. Right? right? You can almost you can almost barely call it a bridge, but and that's the Potomac down below, right? Uh, I no, I would probably not. Um, okay, because the Potomac is like a is like a real river, so this is like okay. a stream here. Um, but like in in DC with all of this. Uh, Oh, could it be the Potomac? <laughs> Maybe like you're a, right. like like where the Potomac kind of like peters out or something. Uh, or? Well, I, I, you know. I was thinking about that now as I was saying it, but yeah, I think it's one of these side sort of inlets because in DC there's there's all these. Uh, it's sort of a mar- they say like DC is the swamp, right? I don't I don't even mean mm-hmm. to quote like Trump, but you know like that is <laughs> that is the case. DC was was built upon like this marshy land, so there's mm-hmm. all these little inlets to the Potomac because the Potomac is that shot that we have of of Georgetown as we're going in. That's the Potomac. That's like a real. Ah, okay. That's like a real mm-hmm. river. Like the first thing we see of Georgetown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a okay. real river. So like those, that bridge that's crossing that is, you know, um, hundreds of feet across. Gotcha. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So this is, uh, so so I was right to think because like I'm more used to the book mm-hmm. and this meeting on the bridge is 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 in the book. So and and then we see it in the movie. I was like, oh, that's a very small bridge. Very small bridge. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now 
Keenan, this shot also has a lot of sharp angles, mm-hmm. it seems. Like, but I don't know, like maybe it's the it's the blues and the greens. So I get more of a sense of peace here than maybe I, I normally would with all the like the sharp edges and everything. Right. Like what's going on? Like, I think that's I think that's true. Yeah. That, okay. that it's, it feels a lot more peaceful than than some like the previous shot of the stairs, which has a lot of these jagged lines in it too. Um, right. The stairs, that's the, the, the exorcist stairs. <laughs> the exorcist, the famous exorcist right, stairs. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. This is the yeah. famous exorcist bridge. Right, yeah. You, you, buy, you buy a t-shirt, it's like, I stood on the famous exorcist bridge, right? <laughs> and then they bury you in the t-shirt that says, I fell down the famous exorcist stairs. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that that in the book, as you read, we have it from Chris's point of view of her waiting. Um, and mm-hmm. here we have it basically from Damien's point of view of him, like kind of dreading going to a meeting as opposed to Chris's of yeah. dreading being met. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, it's really interesting, the movement in this scene. We got mm-hmm. we got this couple walking on the right, uh, heading left. And then we got Karis on the other end of the bridge, and he's heading right. Mm-hmm. We got Chris in the center. And then below her, we got these two joggers who are sort of coming toward us at an angle. Mm-hmm. Um but it's mostly like they're going uh, uh, right to left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and like I said, in the very center, we got Chris, who's not moving anywhere, but she is sort of like covering up and making herself uh, small as these people get closer. It's almost like they're closing in on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get another shot. Karis has reached her, and now he stops. Chris McNeil. But Chris is in no mood to meet an adoring fan. And without turning around, in fact, she turns away a little bit. She says, please go away. But Karis seems to understand. So he introduces himself. I'm Father Karis. Chris turns. Another shot over Karis's shoulder. And now we can just see that there is something awful underneath those big, dark sunglasses Chris is wearing, right? But she smiles a tired smile and holds out her hand to him. Karis tries to lighten the mood with a joke. Uh, it's all right. I should have told you I wouldn't be in uniform. Chris shoots back. Yeah, that would have helped. Mm-hmm. Even in the face of terror, even now when it looks like she's mourning, she still musters up the uh, the strength to be jovial. That's a really good way of putting it. She looks like she's mourning. I think that's important. So mm-hmm. let's put a pin on that. Like she looks like she has lost her daughter, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this is the beginning of a more uh, subdued, but like very... Uh, emotional fencing or mm-hmm. tennis match between these two. And this time around, I thought uh, of Karis and Kinderman mm-hmm. and their match from before. Um, so Chris asks if Karis has got a cigarette. And that, folks, is where our minute ends. Keenan, is there anything else we missed here? I uh, just want to point out, yeah, this it's interesting how we've talked about Blatty um, being more sentimental and Friedkin seeming to try to take us into the more, um, like, um, misanthropic <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of feelings here. And so this is a change from the book and the original screenplay where Chris thinks Karis is hitting on her and then the book mm. doesn't have, the movie doesn't have that. The movie just has, can you, like, expecting it's a fan or something, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So in the in the screenplay and the book, keep moving creep. And we, we so we oh, sort of yeah. soften that for the movie, which is not the typical path we've seen so far. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so mm-hmm. like just by, by the indication of like creep. Right. Yeah, that wouldn't be like, can you sign an autograph? That'd be right. like some. I'm on a bridge. With... On, I'm a woman alone on a bridge, and you're coming up and talking to me, right? You're a creep. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Jeez. The things because <laughs> because I never have to worry about that. <laughs> it never even entered my mind. <laughs> right, but but that's, that's I can walk alone at night. It's not it's a problem. Not a problem, it's, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is sad. I'm not. I'm not joking about that. I'm right, saying that's right. a, that's horrible. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Anyway, so that's it. <laughs> 
But yeah, so that is that is it for our minute, folks. Um, so uh, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can reach me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz with the cold. And you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd <laughs> as Howdy Keenan. Yes. Um, we got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out and request to join and we'll let you in here with us. Thank you so much to everyone who's shared the show by word of mouth on uh, or on social media. And a big thank you to everyone who has given us a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to our show. We really appreciate it. That's going to help our little podcast grow and find more cool people like you. All right, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the, the power, power of Frankenstein, Frankenstein compels you. So are we talking about like the, the monster? or The, the monster. No, no, no the doctor. Talk- or the, the name of the, the doctor author. is... Or is it- <laughs> the name of the author is Frankenstein. The, the, name, the, name, <laughs> the name of the podcast. <laughs> I think you should go watch the movie Frankenstein. It will cheer you up greatly. But doctor, <laughs> I'm Frankenstein. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a Pagliacci or is it Pagliacci joke? Pagliacci. Pagliacci. Yeah. Or Pagliacci. Yeah. <laughs> Christine tears the mask off the Phantom's face, and it's Frankenstein. <laughs> I'm sorry, Christine. I can't be your angel of music because <laughs> I am the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, that doesn't change anything for me at all. No. <laughs> you're just you're just another. You're, so you're you're telling me you're a different something of something. <laughs> but you can still teach me, right? <laughs> In the same manner that you've been teaching me. <laughs> He just turns back to the organ. He's like, you can see yourself out. <laughs> right. No, I can't. I don't know how to get out of here. <laughs> He's just pretending to ignore her. 